This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with us today from comedian Lee Camp, the Tom Hartman Program, Citizen Radio, Counterspin, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, The Media Matters Minute, and The Progressive. And remember, kids, don't trust anyone who says you should trust them like the corporate media does. Only trust independent news sources like this show. This is one of the sad things, Pap, about American politics, that in 1987, when Ronald Reagan stopped enforcing what is called the Fairness Doctrine, but really it should have had a different name, because what it said was that if a radio or television station, and nowadays even cable, because they use public rights away, a satellite, they use public rights away, I mean, I think this should universally apply, um, but none of it does anymore anyway, so it's academic, but... If they want to have their license renewed every year, they have to demonstrate that they have programmed, at least in part, in the public interest. And people used to think that that meant public service announcements. But I did news in Lansing, Michigan. I, you know, it started in radio in 1968. And I did, I did news from 71 to 78 in uh, WITL in Lansing. And, and we had five people in the news department for this little radio station. It was the number one station in Lansing, but Lansing's a little town. And Country Western Station. And the station lost money on that news operation. They, they proudly lost money on that news operation. And we all knew in the news department, and this was all before Reagan stopped enforcing it. This was the 70s. We all knew that if we were caught talking to the salespeople, we'd get fired. It's like there was this firewall between the two. And, and because programming in the public interest meant actually having news. I used to, you know, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Louise and I would go down to the city hall. We'd get the, the police blotter. We'd go across the street to the state capitol. We'd do, do the interviews. We'd come back, cut that stuff up. We, we were doing news, real good old-fashioned, dig-it-up news. Didn't matter if it hurt an advertiser. Didn't, you know, we, we, if it was true, we reported on it. Reagan said, that's no longer necessary. You can just make money. And then, you know, Clinton with the Telecommunications Act of 96, which was a Republican initiative, um, you know, really put the nail into that. But it really, we, that was, I remember in 88, when, when, I believe it was 88, when CBS News was the first, it might have been 87, was the first network to say that they were putting their news division under their entertainment vice president. And all three of the networks used to lose money on news. That was the price of a station carrying your network. And they and, and I'm not an advocate of losing money. I'm, my point is that they had bureaus all over the world. They actually reported on news. Local stations did. It was a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have public airways. The public owns. The, this is a commons. Yeah. It's no different than any other commons. The public owns this, and we're going to give you the right to use these airways. And the contract with you is this: you're going to give us news. Right. And then somewhere along the line, people start ignoring it. Now we think NBC or CBS or ABC owns the, way, the airways. Yeah. They don't. We own the airways. And we've just allowed them to bastardize the process to where news is not even recognizable. The new formula for news on, on television, uh, if you just tune basically into any channel, it is the uh, the, the interesting looking wonk, the, the policy wonk, you know, with mm -hmm. the big glasses and the big hair next to the, you call it beauty and the beast, I think mm -hmm. is the term yeah. you use. That's the combination. It doesn't matter that they don't know a lot. It doesn't matter that they're not giving you the news. It doesn't matter that they're not able to talk about a corporation that might be killing us 
might be stealing from us. They're not allowed to do that because the guys on the 50th floor say, if you do that, you're going to lose your job. And and this is my problem with NPR now, too. I, of course. I, I remember back in the, I believe it was the 80s, um, uh, when NPR was fully funded by the U.S. government. They didn't have to worry about advertisers. They broke the story of, uh, was it Cargill or, no, it was ADM, Archer Daniel Midland, price fixing. And there was a $300 million penalty, which was big money back in those days. Mm. Uh, ADM got hit with a $300 million fine for price fixing on commodities, and, and, and NPR had broke that story. They'd done that investigative journalism. And now they're sponsored by ADM. <laughs> that, so they dialed back the, the, you know, the Republicans in Congress said, okay, let's dial back some of their support. They're no longer – so now they've got to go out to advertisers. You're not hearing investigative journalism anymore. I, you know, in the morning – you know, sometimes I'll listen to NPR, and, and, and here's a guy from the Heritage Foundation yeah, offering exactly. what's supposed to be unbiased. You know, I, somebody from Competitive Enterprise was on the other day. Oh, yeah, without so, any notion of, without any, by the way, you might want to know, the Heritage Foundation does this, this, and this, right. and they're a Republican right-wing hack organization. No mention of that. Well, and, and not just that, corporate Yes, you know, cor corporate sponsored, yes. you know, hacks. And, and so basically what we've got now is we've got, this kind of semblance of middle-of-the-road news in NPR and PBS, but it's not really. And it's, it's been badly contaminated. They've done, you know, Lee Atwater did play the refs there. And then you've got basically three other things. You've got sort of progressive news, kind of MSNBC and, you know, our show and stuff like that, you know, where we say, okay, here's our attitude, we're progressives. you got the sort of conservative news, Fox News, basically, and the right-wing talk shows. And then you've got fluff news. What's going to get the most eyeballs? ABC, NBC, CBS. Be sure you've got a story about puppies tonight. Is somebody bleeding? Yeah, that'll lead. You know, the old cliche. Our audio clip. The reason I really wanted to play this was because obviously, you know, during the debates, um, there was that stupid moment where Mitt Romney went after Jim Lear and PBS and said, I had cut funding for PBS, and everyone was like, Big Bird, and that's right. all anybody could talk about. That's not the reason I want to play it. The reason I want to play it is, even though that was a stupid media soundbite that was played over and over and it became a meme and, you know, distracted us all from talking about bigger issues, I do think at the heart of that moment was an important issue, which is funding public broadcasting. Right. Um, and PBS is really important. And, you know, I have friends who learned English from Sesame Street. So it's a really important um, network. They do really amazing work. And... Um, Fred Rogers, you know, articulates why, uh, that kind of education is so important better than I can. So here he is. Nine, the U.S. Senate held hearings about funding for the newly formed Corporation for Public Broadcasting. A $20 million grant proposed by former President Lyndon Johnson was in jeopardy. President Richard Nixon wanted that amount cut in half. The hearings were chaired by Senator John Pastore. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. 
Senator Pastore. This is a philosophical statement and would take about ten minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, one of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if all it's right, all right. Okay. My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago, and its budget was $30. Now, with the help of the Sears Roebuck Foundation and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations, each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television. With this help, now our program has a budget of $6,000. It may sound like quite a difference, but $6,000 pays for less than two minutes of cartoons. Two minutes of animated, what I sometimes say, bombardment. I'm very much concerned, as I know you are, about what's being delivered to our children in this country. And I've worked in the field of child development for six years now, trying to understand the inner needs of children. We deal with such things as, as the inner drama of childhood. We don't have to bop somebody over the head to make him... To, to make drama on the screen. We deal with such things as getting a haircut or the feelings about brothers and sisters and the kind of anger that arises in simple family situations. And we speak to it constructively. How long a program is it? It's a half hour every day. Most channels schedule it in the, in the noontime as well as in the evening. Uh, WETA here has scheduled it in the late afternoon. Could we get a copy of this so that we can see it? Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. I'd like very much for you I'd to like see I'd like to see the program itself, or any one of them, you see. We, we made a hundred programs for EEN, the Eastern Educational Network, and then when the money ran out, People in Boston and Pittsburgh and Chicago all came to the fore and said, we've got to have more of this neighborhood expression of care. And this is what, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger. Much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. 
I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years, I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. Do you uh, narrate it? I'm the host, yes. And I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do doing puppets in in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <clears throat> Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Rogers. Boom. Uh, I want to say that I wasn't... Uh ever really book smart, but, uh, I definitely, everything creative I got was from, uh, Sesame Street and, uh, the Muppets. Uh, I don't think the Muppets were PBS, but, but both of those together, it's like, that's why I wanted to start playing the drums. And that's why I started, uh, wanted to play the piano and like all that stuff. Totally. And know? I love what he says about, you know, just teaching kids to resolve conflict with their words and not violence. And I think now in like our kind of jaded culture, we're like, lame, super lame. Right. But that's really a powerful, like that our leaders could stand to have a lesson from Mr. Rogers. Well, and not, and not only from like, the obvious ones, which is like drone strikes and war and torture and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But think about the rhetoric when, for example, something like the Aurora shooting happens, right? Mm -hmm. You have all these sort of like gun-toting cowboy Republicans instead of being like, fuck, man, we have to work on like mental health issues and have more access to mental health clinics so that someone like the shooter doesn't do that. They go, well, what if everyone had guns? And it's like, well, then a fuckload more people would have been shot. That's America. That's always the solution. Can we just add more guns? So it's like you do have these politicians where it's like if you laugh at something like, you know, violence isn't the answer or whatever, it's like, look at our foreign policy. Look at, you know, responses like that where it's like we could care for the sick so the shootings don't happen as much or 
Yeah, we can give everyone else guns and teach everyone else to be as violent so that more shootings happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it seems like a really antiquated notion, but I just love that he was so unapologetically... Um, like a pacifist, you know, just, or not even like a pacifist. Cause I think it was really, well, yeah, I guess a pacifist, but it was really powerful what he was proposing, which is he, he's like teaching someone to deal with their emotions and just making them feel loved and supported yeah. is the most powerful thing you can do for a child. Instead of just throwing cartoons and like products at them. And it's like, are you happy yet? Are you happy yet? Right. Uh, it's like what a child needs is just that sense of security. So I wish there were more educators like him, and especially more people like him making children's shows, you know? Yeah. A little over a year ago, Occupy Wall Street brought important issues into a corporate media system loath to address them. Things like poverty, debt, and income inequality. The press at first ignored the protests and then belittled them, complaining that the activists didn't know the issues and didn't have a strategy. So in a way, it was not surprising to turn to Time magazine and see this headline, Occupy 2.0, The Fringe Movement Gets a Professional Makeover. The point of the piece is that Occupy has changed for the better. Time explains that various Occupy offshoots, led in part by former Wall Streeters, are going a different way. Quote, their approach to change is incremental and they're playing by the rules. Close quote. But many of the efforts chosen by Time to illustrate this approach were there from the start, like the focus on debt and Occupy Bank activism. The piece wants to be about Occupy's new approach, but to pull that off, it must stick to some very old media scripts, like this one, quote, grungy 20-somethings full of scorn for America's financial system, but unable to articulate a concrete vision for reform, that's the image most associated with Occupy Wall Street, close quote. Yes, it is. And who makes that association, exactly? the corporate media. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. 
General Petraeus has been lauded in the media as a great hero. They sometimes refer to him as King David. Now, here's a guy who was in charge of Iraq when Iraq was a disaster. My God, in 03, 04, 05, 06, have you ever seen an America in such a military mess in your life? I remember before the Iraq war, everybody was so cocky. They joke around like, <laughs> Iraq, <laughs> get rid of that guy in a couple of weeks. No problem. And then, how many years later? We started in 03, and in 06, three years later, it was an epic disaster. And for that, what did General Petraeus get? Commander Petraeus! Oh, General Petraeus, what an American hero! What an American hero! Back in the 1980s, when Petraeus was coming up, uh, he wrote a paper where he talked about the most important thing is not what you do, it's the perception of what you do. Boy, he nailed it. And he, well, that's what got him in trouble later on. But, <laughs> but what he's really been doing is sleeping with the press. As Michael Hastings put in one of his articles on BuzzFeed, this is literally, I mean, this is a t uh, term of art in journalism. When you get incredibly positive coverage because you gave access or you gave something to the reporter, it's called a blowjob piece. So the real problem is the blowjobs he's been getting from the media, right? So at this point, the only thing that could have cost Petraeus anything is a sex scandal because that's the only thing that gets any kind of negative attention in this country. You could do a horrible job. Hundreds of thousands of civilians can get killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Nobody gives a damn. But to this day, the media, protective of their beloved generals. Listen to Aaron Burnett and why she likes General Petraeus so much. He did with all of us. Oh, he made us yeah. all feel special by oh, you know, how quickly and he would respond to emails. Yes. Yeah. Oh, did he respond to emails? He made us feel so special. Well, he responded to one too many emails from Paula Broadwell, apparently. But I don't give a damn about that. What I care a hell of a lot more about is the media and their, how they were so besmitten by General Petraeus. He would respond to my emails. I liked him so much. He was so special to me. King David! So, Michael Hastings goes on CNN. Now, he's a contributor to the Young Turks on Current. Uh, and he went and brought his particular brand of ass-kicking to Piers Morgan's show. Let's see how that turned out. Essentially, the media has played a role in uh, protecting David Petraeus and promoting David Petraeus and mythologizing David Petraeus. And, and we saw it here tonight. Uh, G General Kimmett, who was a spokesperson in Baghdad, who was a roommate of uh, Petraeus, who, who, who was involved in one of the biggest debacles uh, in, in recent foreign policy history, is on TV, you know, defending uh, David Petraeus without actually addressing the real problems with David Petraeus's record. A number of other journalists who were actually covering David Petraeus were raising those concerns. You might not get that from, from someone like Barbara star at CNN, who essentially is uh, a, a spokesperson in, a, a, for, the, for the Pentagon in many ways. So oh, damn. He's hitting the those two guys on his left and right, or both generals, including General Kimmett, the guy he was talking about, is on the left. And they're both like stone cold, like, what is happening? We're on television. Nobody's giving us oral. I don't get this guy. Is, he doesn't, he seems to be against us. That's really weird. I'm unfamiliar with this. So, of course, Piers is going to jump in and defend the CNN reporter that Michael Hastings was talking about there at that. Okay, well, but Barbara's not a spokesperson for him, obviously. Um, but let's, let's move to the Senate Colonel. For I, not, not too obviously. I've, I followed her coverage pretty closely as she's covered my work before, too. 
Well, just because she's written uh, naughty things about you, it doesn't make her a spokesperson. N no, it, what makes her a spokesperson is repeating without question a lot of Pentagon claims. Look, there's very few journalists left in this country, and Michael Hastings is one of them. And he writes unflinchingly about the Pentagon. And when he did about General Stanley McChrystal, and Stanley McChrystal had to, had to step down because of the piece that Michael Hastings wrote, which was totally true. And in fact, that's what cost him the job. McChrystal had been saying terrible things about the Obama administration and was disregarding the orders that they were giving him, which is not what you're supposed to do. Obviously, it's an enormous, enormous breach, right? So when he does that, the rest of the press flip out. They're like, what are you doing? You're breaking the rules. The rules are the Pentagon gives us a press statement. We read it on CNN, and then we give a sharp salute. How dare you do journalism? You know what they're calling Michael Hastings now, the rest of the press? A provocateur. How could you possibly provoke the government when instead we're supposed to be stroking them? Hastings ain't done with them yet. One more. I've been in Baghdad for the last two weeks. Uh, it is a much different place than it was when Dave Petraeus took over there. There is calm. General there Kimmett are some, was, there General are some Kimmett security was the problems. Wait, wait. in 2004, lying to the American people every day. Okay, in 2006, Michael, he said Michael, there was progress in Iraq. I was in Iraq there, man. Michael, Don't try to spin. You guys are letting him spin. Let him have his say, please. Okay. Uh, listen, I'm, I was over there as a private businessman. I've been going in there for the last nine years, both in uniform and as a State Department official, and now as a, as a private individual. Oh, well, then I really trust you because you're making money off of it. And Michael pointed that out later in the segment, too. Man, they were not happy with the damage that Hastings did on CNN last night. He's like, oh, I, so you're making money off the dealings that you have in Iraq now after you were a general in Iraq for us, huh? Funny how that works out, right? It's so easy to call them on their bullshit. It's just that the great majority of people on TV don't do it because they're in on the scam. They're all on the same side. And their opponent is largely us. They're supposed to keep us in the dark as they go to more and more wars that turn into more and more disasters. But they're not disasters for everybody. The stock uh, value of the defense contractors during the Bush era went through the roof. Believe me, a lot of these generals that then worked for those defense contractors made a ton of money. Somebody got paid. Just, it's you and I who got screwed. And when Hastings points that out, that's when they get livid. And the tears never came. They just stayed in our eyes. We refuse to admit that we wore this disguise Every inch of us growing like Pinocchio's nose As we walked around in the emperor's new clothes Republicans, I, I, I'm not even paying attention to it. I, I do think there is some questions as to uh, the whole Benghazi affair, although they, they seem to, the, the major ones seem to have been put to rest. Uh, we know essentially what happened. The CIA did an assessment. They found that, at least preliminarily speaking, it appeared to be some group with at least some sympathies with al-Qaeda doing a September 11th 
anniversary attack. But they basically told the administration officials to go out and say otherwise for the time being because they weren't sure. And they had, I guess, security value in not announcing within hours that they had a sense of who it was. And the meanwhile, the Republicans have been trying to make this into the next Watergate. Now, you may not be aware of this because it's only happening in the narrow confines of Fox and right-wing media. But here's what happens when Fox News brings on someone outside of their little bubble. Thomas Ricks, who is, I don't, I wouldn't call him in any way anything other than an establishment reporter. In fact, I interviewed him back on Break Room Live about Iraq, and I was convinced this guy, he seems very plugged into the establishment, if you know what I mean. Uh, in a way, like in a submerged way. Anyways, here he is on uh, Fox. Right now, pressure mounting on the Obama administration over its response to the deadly attack on our consulate in, in Benghazi. As Catherine Herridge reported just minutes ago, several top GOP lawmakers are backing off their criticism of U.N. Ambassador Susan Rice, instead focusing on the White House. So what's happening here is Fox is now also pivoting. You know, we got to keep talking about Benghazi. we got to keep talking about Benghazi. Now we've had some defectors who have been carrying the banner that it was Susan Rice. But now, of course, yes, all roads lead back to the White House. Follow the money. Or not in this case money, but follow whatever. And uh, so they're geared up for their big Benghazi segment with Thomas Ricks. Go. Two senators even expressing concerns about a possible White House cover-up. Let's talk about it with Tom Ricks. He is author of The Generals. He has spent dec decades covering our military. He joins us now. Uh, Senator John McCain has said in the past that he would block any attempt uh, to nominate Susan Rice to become UN, uh, I'm sorry, Secretary of State. She's currently the UN ambassador. He seems to be backing away from that. What do you make of it? I think that Benghazi generally was hyped by this network especially, and that now that the campaign is over, I think he's backing off a little bit. They're not going to stop Susan Rice from being Secretary of State. What? Oh, bye -bye. Uh, uh, now, at this point, what's happening is the producer in the booth is going like, excuse me, what did he just say? And he's getting into the ear of his uh, mechanical host there and saying, like, "What? You you better challenge him on that. When you when you have four people dead, including the first UN ambassador, U.S. ambassador in more than 30 years, how do you call that hype? How many security contractors died in Iraq? Do you know? I don't. No, nobody does because nobody cared. We know that several hundred died, but there was never an official count done of security contractors dead in Iraq. So when I see this focus uh, on what was essentially a small firefight, I think number one, I've covered a lot of firefights. It's impossible to figure out what happens in them sometimes. And second, I think that the emphasis on Benghazi has been extremely political, partly because Fox was operating as a wing of the Republican Party. All right. Tom Ricks, thanks very much for joining us today. There you go. There's the world's shortest Fox segment on Benghazi. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. I'm surprised they didn't even pull his mic. 
They had him on for two questions. That was fantastic. Now we will go back to regularly scheduled uh, programming and uh, claiming that Benghazi is Watergate. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Alan Pike. As Media Matters has reported, Fox News' relationship with the GOP has been under fire in the wake of the 2012 electoral losses. On Fox and Friends, Gretchen Carlson tried to identify the source of the GOP's message issue. We didn't get our message out effectively enough. That is so true. So is it all about the communication? We've heard forever from the president that, hey, if we just communicated better, you'd actually like my plans. Well, what about the Republicans? Do we need a better mouthpiece for the Republicans? It's a funny question for a Fox News personality to ask, since many have argued that Fox itself is the mouthpiece for Republicans. Who can forget national security reporter Tom Ricks' now infamous appearance on the network from a few weeks ago? I think that the emphasis on Benghazi has been extremely political, partly because Fox was operating as a wing of the Republican Party. All right, Tom Ricks, thanks very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Rupert Murdoch, he ain't happy with just basically owning much, if not most, of the media in the United Kingdom and Australia, several media holdings in the United States, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, Fox News, Fox Television. Which, uh, what is, which, which, which of the movie companies does he own? It's all there. The 20th Century Fox, that's right. All that stuff. It's like, he wants more. He wants a media monopoly. He's currently jockeying to buy the Los Angeles Times and the Chicago Tribune, which just so happen to be the nation's, or not the nation's, but the largest newspaper in the nation's second and third largest cities. So, you know, if he gets these, they would add to his current media empire in the United States, which includes the most watched cable news network in the nation, Fox so-called news the most circulated newspaper in the nation, the Wall Street Journal. And the only thing standing in Murdoch's way of full-spectrum media domination in America are FCC rules, Federal Communications Commission rules, that forbid one company from owning both a newspaper and a television station in one town. Murdoch already owns local TV stations in both Chicago and Los Angeles. But according to sources inside the FCC... The chairman of the FCC, Democratic Obama appointee Chairman Julius Janikowski, is quietly planning to scrap these rules that go back to the 20s. Under pressure from major media moguls like Murdoch, who see big bucks, and, by the way, huge political power, in a consolidated national and local media, Janikowski circulated a new order to other FCC commissioners, which is apparently how it got leaked out to us, that would allow for cross-ownership of TV and newspapers in the nation's 20 largest media markets. They tried this during the Bush administration, 2007. FCC tried this. Got shot down when the Senate voted to repeal it. And then a federal court blocked it. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the FCC has this open comments period. 99% of the public comments that the FCC received 
oppose that media consolidation effort. But that didn't stop Murdoch or the other media moguls. They kept going, pushing, lobbying, buying off. I mean, who knows? Maybe Janikowski's been offered, made an offer he can't refuse. I, yeah, I kind of doubt he woke up with a horse's head in his bed. It's probably more like, uh, hey, how'd you like to have a job at uh, News Corp for, say, a million dollars a year when you retire from the FCC? Uh, you know, let's not talk about it now, but, you know, after you retire, give me a shout. So now we understand President Obama's FCC is going to consider these rule changes again next month, as in, like, next week starts next month in December. And if you and I, if Americans don't get involved in this issue, if we don't push the FCC to say no, if we don't call the White House comment line and say no, if we don't go to freepress.net and participate in their campaign to say no to this, then Murdoch and his billionaire buddies are going to get what they want, which is complete domination of our news media. I mean, it's, it, this is how bad it is already. Ben Bagdikian points out in his book, The New Media Monopoly, the United States is already basically the victim of a complete media monopoly. Today, only five corporations, one of which is Rupert Murdoch's News Corp., own the majority of all the media seen, read, or listened to by Americans, radio, TV, newspapers, and magazines. Hundreds of newspapers, thousands of radio stations, hundreds of television stations, tens of thousands of magazines, the majority of them owned by five companies. If the FCC gets completely out of the way, it's going to get even worse. More consolidation, more monopoly. And this, not only does this pr produce, you know, not only is monopoly like bad for economies, which is, you know, enough reason to, to oppose it. It, it, it stops innovation. It keeps, you know, small players out of the marketplace, prevents new, new people from coming into the marketplace. Or if they do, they only last, you know, a year or two before they get bought up by one of the giants and then homogenized. I mean, this is, this is, you say, well, you know, there's still people starting new businesses and small businesses. and Yeah, but the new business plan is start a business and, and build it up as fast as you can so that you can sell it to one of these big guys before they squash you like a bug. Okay, so there's that economic problem. It's bad for our economy. It's also a huge problem for democracy. And if there's one monopoly that's more dangerous than all the others... It's a media monopoly. Having a democratic republic, you know what we're supposed to have, a constitutionally limited, representative democratic republic. If you, if you want to have one that functions, as Thomas Jefferson so eloquently and repeatedly pointed out, you have to have a well-informed electorate, voters who are well-informed. And if one corporation or one eccentric billionaire owns the means of information, they can hijack the public debate and bend it to their will. For example, consider what happened in Italy. You know, for years we did Berlusconi alerts on this program. Remember Silvio Berlusconi? He started out as a cruise boat lounge singer and small-time hustler. Then he bought a newspaper. 
then a small television station, then a radio station, then another TV station, then another newspaper, then another radio station, then he bought another TV station, then another newspaper, then a radio network, then a TV network, and suddenly Berlusconi ended up owning about 95% of all the media seen, heard, or read in the country of Italy. And with the control of the information in Italy, Berlusconi decided to run for prime minister. And wouldn't you know, he won! Surprise! In fact, you know, with this iron grip that he had on the media, Berlusconi served as prime minister of Italy for three full terms, or three separate terms, totaling nearly a decade, despite the fact that he was accused, and I'm not talking about by his detractors, I'm talking about by prosecutors, was accused of nearly every crime you could imagine, including tax fraud, false accounting, corruption, bribery, perjury, mafia collusion, aiding terrorist organizations, and having sex with minors at his infamous bunga bunga parties. I mean, that's how crucial a media monopoly is to political power and legal immunity from prosecution. In the meantime, Berlusconi oversaw the downgrade of Italy's press freedoms as documented by the organization Freedom House, which demoted Italy's press. Italy, we're talking, you know, a fully developed modern European country. They demoted Italy's press from free, like the rest of Europe and the developed world, to only partly free. Main reason for the demotion? Berlusconi's ability to completely manipulate the media, which, according to Freedom House, was a conflict of interest among the most blatant in the world. It took the technocrats of the European Union to force him out of office last year. Ultimately, if the FCC approves these rule changes and allows Murdoch to gobble up more and more of our media, then we could be facing our own Silvio Berlusconi situation. Not that Murdoch is going to run for office, but instead, he's a kingmaker in the Republican Party. Already is. And he puts prominent Republicans on his payroll. Sarah Palin, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, Newt Gingrich, John Kasich. If he's got a bigger media empire, maybe even a monopoly... He's going to be able to handpick politicians and then use his massive conservative media complex to win elections Silvio Berlusconi style. And that should scare the hell out of all of us. And it should scare the hell out of President Obama, the guy who is the boss of the FCC. But apparently we can't depend on Obama to act on this, so we have to do it ourselves. Get over to freepress.net and join the campaign against Murdoch's media power grab. This is serious.
aggressors. No, seriously, stop them. We've been busted. We're shutting down. Prince dead anyway. Rupert Murdoch on the line. Rupert Murdoch on the line. Rupert Murdoch on the line. The FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, has for years now been trying to weaken the rules on media conglomeration, and for no good reason. Back in the early 80s, there were 50 big media companies. Now they're just six. We don't have much competition and hardly any diversity or local content, though the FCC was supposed to foster all of that. Now it's planning on suspending the rules so that these media giants can own not only two TV stations, eight radio stations, and the Internet provider in any local market. They'd now be able to own the major newspaper there, too. This would be a dream come true for Rupert Murdoch, who desperately wants to get his fat, grubby hands on the L.A. Times and the Chicago Tribune. It's amazing that the FCC, under a Democratic president, would even consider such a move. Why reward Murdoch, of all people? But more than that, why let the media landscape become even more dominated by the likes of Viacom and Comcast and Disney? Fortunately, there's a grassroots rebellion against this FCC scheme. It's being organized by my friends over at freepress.net, who've already collected more than 100,000 signatures. And Bernie Sanders and Bill Moyers are also drawing attention to this power grab. So please join this movement to prevent further media consolidation and sign the petition over at freepress.net. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Since we're in the season when pundits give Barack Obama second-term advice, it wasn't all that surprising to crack open USA Today on November 14th and read this, quote, Since President Barack Obama won't face another campaign, he will be more willing to break with special interest in the Democratic Party that he previously had to pander to, close quote. It's not that that's an unusual line. Reporters and pundits have said Democrats should do that for at least the past two decades. What's interesting is who said it. It appeared in a left-right back-and-forth column. And this quote came from the quote-unquote leftist Bob Beckel. He's a fixture on Fox News where he plays the role of the somewhat befuddled and tongue-tied liberal. It's no doubt a lucrative career. There's always a place in the corporate media for a not-really-on-the-left leftist. This is sort of sad news, a little bit. Maybe we should do a little bit of this. It's been announced, according to New York Magazine, that Karl Rove and Dick Morris have been temporarily banished from Fox News Channel. On orders from Fox News boss Roger Ailes, Deputy Bill Shine and all producers must get approval from on high before booking either man on any Fox program. Carl Rove still crying in a bucket full of his money, wondering how it is uh, he had a, a denial of uh, service when he was trying to hook up with those servers in Ohio. Quote, sometime after the cock crows on the morning of November 7th, 
Mitt Romney will be declared America's 45th president, Rove wrote in his final column before the election. And of course, Dick Morris, not just known for toe-sucking or having his toes sucked, can't remember which, sucking uh, prostitute toes, nothing, eh, you know, nothing wrong with that, just you shouldn't be doing it while you're talking on the phone with the president, I guess. Here comes the landslide, said Morris just before the election. Of course, he thought there was going to be a huge Romney win, and it didn't work out. So, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see um, a little bit more accountability for pundits like that on all the networks. Things like the Iraq War come to mind. But um, maybe this is just a, a tiny start. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tori Brown. Anyone who watches Fox News knows they're no fan of food stamps. Let's listen to a Neil Cavuto segment with conservative pundit Michelle Fields trying to explain the increase in food stamp enrollment. Well, I think it has a lot to do with eligibility. They've expanded who can get uh, food stamps, so we're seeing so many more people on them. And that's really what this administration is all about, right, is making people feel more comfortable living in poverty, because that's what food stamps are. This administration should be implementing policies that don't make people feel more comfortable living in poverty. But The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is not about making people feel more comfortable living in poverty. It is actually a program designed to keep people out of poverty. But hiding the truth about food stamps should hardly come as a surprise from a network who treats them as a diet plan. I should try it because you know how fabulous I'd look. I'd be so skinny. Bill O'Reilly is refusing to give up the whole war on Christmas thing. I fig- he figures he's written it out for like seven years now. Why not go another month or two? Um, and so he had some guests on to talk about what he thinks is really underlying the war on Christmas. Uh, b- but first he reiterates his position, so let's go to that. They're denying on the left, many of them, our pal John Stewart being among them, uh, that there is any war on Christmas at all. I'm making it all up. I'm fabricating. I actually think that I'm like Jeff Dunham. I'm a ventriloquist forcing the governor of Rhode Island to call it a holiday trip. He really didn't say that. I made him say it. Right. You know know what? And, And of course, yeah, they're saying that. They want to deny it because they don't want you to fight it. Wow, did they, did they get that guy from Area 51? <laughs> uh, so, War on Aliens? But yeah, that was a yeah. different movie. Okay, so look, uh, there, no one, I don't know if Bill O'Reilly knows this, but no one has actually said from our side, we would like to do a war on Christmas. Yeah. Our side being the secular side, right? Mm-hmm. Not that we're not Christian, some of us are, right? I'm not, but some of us are. Uh, it's just we think, hey, you know what? We should separate a shirt and state. By the way, privately, we all call it a Christmas tree. Right. And we think we should call it a Christmas tree. And I don't know anybody who's ever called it a holiday tree. Yeah. right? That, that's not the point. The point is that, that it, 
Chafee, for example, is the governor of Rhode Island, right? So he can't say to the Jews in Rhode Island, the atheists in Rhode Island, the Buddhists in Rhode Island, I don't give a damn about you. I'm setting up a Christmas tree. I'm setting up Christmas left and right. And if you don't like it, get out of Rhode Island, because that would be kind of the, against the point of the United States of America. Yeah. So he says, well, I didn't make it up. No, but you did make it up. There is no war. It's not like Chafee called us and Rachel Maddow was like, when do we launch? <laughs> right? like, it's not a concerted effort. It's just trying to actually be a decent human being to all your citizens. There's, well, a, there's a war on Christmas uh, in the same way that in America has a war on obesity. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't. <laughs> I think that he's, he's both right and wrong. I mean, we are engaged in a war on something. It's just not Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's the attempts of Christianity to push itself on us. And the, and the problem is it's very similar to what's happened politically between the left and the right over like the last 10 and 20 years. It's a problem of goalposts. That It's not Christians have their religion, atheists don't have their religion, and that's where it is. The goalposts that he thinks are natural are we're pushing it on you, and if you fight back, that's a problem, that's a war, what are you doing? And we just we want to get back to equilibrium, where you go in your house and you have your Christmas, but I don't have to if I'm outside of a federal court. Well, you know, what about the people who say, uh, they get upset when people say happy holidays, mm -hmm. right? And that, to me, that's the equivalent, or my friend Todd always says, to me, that's the equivalent of you calling everybody Bob. You know, uh -huh. it's like, if you say Merry Christmas, well, he's a Jew. It doesn't matter. I'm saying Merry Christmas. Yeah, hey, this, hi, your, friend, your name's Ted. I'm going to call you Bob. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to call you Bob. Yeah. Because that's what I feel good about. It's like, well, that's rude because that guy's name isn't Bob. His name is Ted. Why wouldn't you use his name? And this guy's not a Christian. Why wouldn't you just say Happy Holidays? You're being a dick. <laughs> right? And, and it's so it's more, it's more accurate. It's more, there of are a on, it's more of a war on dickishness. <laughs> and it is, right? That's really yeah. what it is. And, and look, again, to this point, right? So... I bought a Christmas tree early to, uh, this year, and uh, and I start listening to Christmas songs about five weeks out. Uh, and you know, when you get into my car, you're bombarded by Happy Holidays, but that's wrong. Like you know, but anyway, okay. And and Jesus and Jr. borrowed my car the other day. One Jesus borrowed it, so then I come back and it's heavy rock music, right? Hey, I mean, it's such a stereotype. His nickname is Rock and Roll Jesus, right? And the huge rock music, metal like death and mega something, right? And then JR borrows a car and he comes back and it's a hip-hop station. Mm. And every time I flip it back to Christmas songs, I love Christmas songs. Yeah. But if I was governor, I wouldn't make people listen to Christmas songs. And even though I put up a Christmas tree, even though I'm agnostic, okay, and I like, I like Santa, but I wouldn't show Santa down people's throats either. I wouldn't be like, you have to like Santa as much as I do, okay? Where's the goddamn gifts? Because I would be the governor of everybody. You see that? It's a simple understanding. Bill O'Reilly, he, he has an idea of why we're engaged in this war, actually. Uh, let, let's listen to his argument. So it has to do with, uh, at, at the root of it, it, it has to do with two things. Abortion and, and the gay rights agenda, because Christianity is, is against those things. And, and that's, it's subtle, but uh, that's, why they, they're so, that's why it's so pronounced in, these, in recent years, in my opinion. 100% agree. I absolutely agree 100% that it's the, the diminishment of Christianity uh, is the target and Christmas is the vehicle because the secularists know their opposition to their agenda. Legalized drugs is in that as well. Uh, coming primarily from the Judeo-Christian traditionalist. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing! So the, the conspiracy we apparently hatched up, the us libs overall, is we're like, okay, how do we legalize pot? 
<laughs> and make sure abortion remains legal, et cetera. Well, why don't we go after Santa? That, that would, that's the most logical target. That is no, but the fact that they can even say that out loud shows the depth of their insanity. They really think that somebody saying happy holidays at Sears has something to do with abortion and drugs and gay rights. So, it's literally unbelievable. So, Jen, say happy holidays to me. Happy holidays. Drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know who I actually think is to blame? This is going to sound a little bit weird, but I think it's Jesus, actually. Oh, it is? He brought the cameras into our meetings, and TYT Underground's been revealing all of our secret plots that we're hatching. Oh, right, 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 right. That's where O'Reilly probably got uh, his... Probably. Uh, yeah. He's a member. So this Damn is it, all... Jesus, don't tell him, man. <laughs> and you know what? Next uh, Easter, we are going to murder the Easter bunny and <laughs> cook it up and eat it. Why? Because we want to save the whales. Yeah. You think you got it, oh, you think you got it, but got it, just don't get it till there's nothing at all. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast, where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things, like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at Lee Camp. .net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. Lifespan, we watch 15 and a half years of television on average. 15 and a half years of having our brains liquefied and sodomized, zombified, and then glorifying products and nonsense. And that screws with us because advertisements are. They're. Imagine if an advertisement were just a regular guy walking up to you on the street, just going, hey, hey, you, hey. Hey, if you wore these jeans, then the hot girls would really do you. I mean like hot girls, not that ugly broad you call a girlfriend. And by the way, could you mention to her that she needs to lose a little weight and do something about her hair? And she could do it too if she would just use these diet pills and this hair gel. And by the way, both of you guys should probably be smoking these cigarettes and drinking this beer. Then you'd be really cool. Although your teeth are looking a little yellow, but we can fix that if you would just use this tooth whitening sh and then the hot girls would really do you. And by the way, are you happy with your penis size? If you are, that's cool. A lot of guys are, are happy with uh, fun size. Is that what you call that, fun size? A lot of girls like that. I mean, I haven't met any, but I bet there are some. But if you change your mind, all you'd have to do is take a couple of these babies, and soon you would have to call up guys to help you carry your junk around like a train on a wedding dress. But how are you going to call your junk carriers with that crappy phone you got there? You should be using this phone with the swipey bullshit technology that makes other people feel like they're better than you just by owning this phone. And they are. They are better than you. 
Oh my God, all this stuff you need and don't have is making me anxious. Is it making you anxious? Is it? Is it? Is it? Are you anxious now? Are you? Are you? Are you? Well, then all you have to do is take a couple of these and in two weeks time, you would feel better than anything. Plus, bonus side effect, these pills also make your ass hair shiny and more manageable with extra bounce. Anyway, I gotta go because your girlfriend just decided she looks pretty good in a vintage dress and I gotta turn that around quick before she stops taking the Ambien Prozac cocktail I gave her and then she'll stop shopping continuously in order to fill the void created by self-hatred created by me would you hang out with that guy Hi, Jay. Um, this is Jody from Indiana. I called several months ago to request that you play clips from the Mike Malloy radio program. I just wanted to thank you for including a couple of those clips on the past show about climate change. I thought his rants were very good, and, and it was a good sampling of his show. Again, I love your program, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Jay. Hey, Jay, this is Todd from the Occupied Los Angeles. I wanted to call and also give my thanks for your uh, Gaza episode. Um, it showed that uh, you know people can have a deep and well-reasoned discussion about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, out here in L.A., we actually came to consensus to support the Palestinian people. Um, so we share, you know, stories and rally invites and things like that, and... Um, the reaction was pretty intense most of the time, and I got to say, pretty knee-jerk. We had also shared uh, the Gazan Youth Manifesto, and out of all of our postings, that one was the most popular and also sparked the most uh, civilized and thoughtful debate. So, uh, yeah, it's nice that you picked up a Citizen Radio piece um, with them discussing it. So, again, I just want to say thanks for everything you do, and uh, keep on trucking. Bye. Good afternoon, this is Kevin from Helena, Montana. I'd love to see if you could uh, dig up any uh, newscasts or any information on changes in laws to hemp, commercialization of hemp now with the legalization of marijuana in both uh, Washington and Colorado. Uh, if you could see if there's any great news articles or related press on that to add to the show, it would be great to highlight uh, the many benefits of hemp and the legalization of marijuana. Thank you much. Thanks for the great show. Have a good one. Hello, Jay. Uh, this is Jake in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been a long-time listener. I love your show. You frequently... Uh, I per perhaps every show you mention, clicking on the link via uh, your website to go to uh, Amazon, for sh to shop Amazon, and that part of the purchase price goes to support the program. Uh, that's, that's great. I've been doing that now for probably a year, but this is what I need your help with. 
I'm uh, I'm as as much a part of Occupy as anyone I believe, and I'm and I believe the revolution has begun. There's no turning back, and hopefully it can remain nonviolent. Uh, and uh, as part of all this, I subscribe to Mother Jones, and it's been a little while ago, back in the March April 2012 issue, the cover story or one of the cover stories was Shelf Lives: The Secret Hell of Online Shopping by Mac McClellan. It paints a very bleak picture of how those companies, large companies, Amazon probably being the largest of all of them, uh, treat their labor force in these large warehouses that they have. You know, that they put my orders and everybody else's orders together in these places. Uh, first of all, I don't know if you have, uh, if you're aware of this article, if you've read it. I just recently saw a commercial on TV something about Amazon, and of course it, it, it showed um, a scene inside of one of these huge warehouses, and it just looked like a great little place to work, but I don't believe that. Anyway, if you could uh, if you could come back with some kind of a comment, explanation, whatever, I do not, I want to believe that it's okay for me to shop there. Something tells me it's not, and uh, you know, why um, uh, best of the left directs why you direct people through that link uh, I'm, I'm, I just have a question about that so uh, if you could um, comment and uh, I'd certainly appreciate it I like I said I love your show and uh, keep up the good work have a nice day bye bye Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So uh, clearly, tis the season to uh, address the Amazon ad. Uh, once again, this doesn't come up very often. I don't get too many comments about it, and I've, I've discussed it in detail in the past. But, you know, new people join the show. They start listening. They haven't heard the explanation. So I get a call like this. I figure it's representative of at least a handful of people, and I'm absolutely happy happy uh, to uh, talk about it in a little bit more detail every once in a while. And since this is the biggest shopping season of the year, uh, it seems like a good time for a refresher. So basically my stance on Amazon is, although the, the ad that I play it sounds like a joke, it's really not very much of a joke. I really don't actually encourage people uh, to shop there. I really would actually encourage you to not shop anywhere. That sounds like a joke and it's really not quite a joke, but that's not, there's not like there's any uh, actual expectation that people are going to stop shopping or even stop shopping at Amazon, which is also the point of the ad. I know people are going to shop there anyways. And so given that reality, even, you know, progressives who are trying to do the right thing in the world are going to shop at Amazon, even if they know maybe they shouldn't, then <laughs> at least at the same time as the ad says, you can support this show and take a little bit of money away from Amazon at the same time uh, by using my affiliate link. So to answer the question posed in the voicemail, the safe answer as to whether or not it's okay to shop at Amazon from a progressive standpoint is no. It's probably not okay. There probably are really bad working conditions. They probably do uh, very negatively impact local businesses and make it hard for them to compete because uh, very, very often you don't have to pay sales tax on uh, on items sold through Amazon, whereas you do in local shops, which encourages people all the more to shop at Amazon instead of at their local places. Yeah, it's, it's a bad cycle. Everyone involved is acting very reasonably and rationally, and it's leading down what a lot of progressives would say is a bad path, uh, which I generally agree with. So, 
you know, the comment I get not very often at all, but you know, it comes up is it sounds like I'm trying to have it both ways. And the answer to that is yes. And that's because people act differently. Some people are going to take my advice to not shop there at all. And that's great. And some people are going to shop there anyways. And I know that. And so as long as they are, then they might as well send some money my way at the same time, since it doesn't cost them anything. So, you know, that's, is just the reality of it. Secondly, also is, is that it actually works. So that's in a couple of ways. People, you know, write, they say, okay, so I used your link. Uh, I didn't get any confirmation that it sent you money. Can you let me know if it worked? Uh, My blanket statement to everyone is yes, it worked. Trust me. If it didn't work, then a a lot of people wouldn't do it right and it just wouldn't work. And I'd see those results uh, on the back end. And then also, you know, is it worth it to advertise Amazon on the show? Well, I've been advertising them for uh, I can't either two or three years now. And so, yes, it works. If I, if it didn't work, if I didn't feel like it was worth it, uh, the, the sort of balance of morals versus trying to make this show support me and, and, you know, fund itself and grow and get bigger and all of those things. If it wasn't helping with that, then I wouldn't do it. So it really does help. And, uh, you know, so for those who shop at Amazon against my recommendations through my link, uh, upon my recommendation, uh, thank you. So in, enjoy your holiday shopping season. Uh, of course, I actually recommend you not buy physical objects to wrap up and give as a gift. Uh, I much prefer giving the gift of uh, experiences. Go and like do something with your loved ones, and uh, you know those are, are much more memorable than physical objects, anyways. And uh, but if you're going to go shopping, then go ahead and you're going to do it through Amazon anyways, then go ahead and use my link. Clear enough, right? Okay, so that's it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to all those who support the show directly by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the show. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from best of the left.com